Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. It's possible to take some pretty stunning pictures of space, but what about things you can't see easily? Now, there are many objects in space that you can't easily visualise or see. Black holes are one of them, but so are a myriad other things that you want to observe, like gas that hasn't coalesced into a star. These things are important to understand the formation of the early universe and what we see around us today. But how do you study the unseen? Everyone's been marvelling at the pictures of the early universe, or the amazing nebula and features observed by the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, the spectacular images is just a beginning of what will be hopefully a very long and successful scientific mission for the telescope, JWST. But that's not the only way we can map some interesting aspects of our early solar system. Now, because the JWST is able to see so far back, by looking at some of the faintest and dimmest stars right at the edge, we're actually peering almost back in time to some of the earliest periods of the universe. And that is amazing. But there's other ways we can study the early portion of our universe as well. That's where a project from Caltech published in the Astrophysical Journal with lead author Kieran Cleary, the project's principal investigator and associate director of Caltech's Owen Valley Radio Observatory. Now they're using a new project called the Co-Mapping Array Project. And the purpose of this is to try and pick up some really, really faint light as well. But they're looking at what so-called dark ages of the universe at the edge of that, just when we started to see a new light field era beginning, where more and more galaxies were beginning to take shape and were acting like factories, churning out more and more new stars. Now, this whole process started around 400 million years after the Big Bang, when we had the first stars forming, and really ended this Dark Age period at around 4 billion years after the Big Bang, by which time the nebulizing galactic processes were beginning to churn out and spread interstellar matter around our universe and form more and more stars. This so-called start and end of this Dark Age and bursting into scene of lots and lots of stars that we are familiar with now sort of also was the start of the concept of galaxies. More and more began to take shape and they acted at these factories, production lines, producing all of the stars. Now, it's amazing because, you know, whilst our universe, as we estimate, is around 13.8 billion years old, we can, like with the JWST, peer back by looking at some of these faint areas. We can pick up light emitted by galaxies and stars billions of years ago. The problem is, when you look at these way back areas, all of the time it's faint and hidden by dust. Now, of course, if you have a space-based observatory like Hubble or the JWST, dust isn't so much of an issue, but it can be for Earth-based observatories. So you might only see what Cleary calls the tip of the iceberg when looking at galaxies of that period. Now, the benefit of this mapping array project, though, is that you can try and see past the dust, see what's hidden underneath which is important because whilst those large space-based observatories are fantastic, they're also very busy. So for average scientists who want to go study something else, well, they've either got to wait a very long time in the queue or use other tools. So that's where tools like a 10.4 meter Leighton radio dish at the Owens Valley Radio Observatory comes in. Yes, it's not going to get amazing pictures because it's a radio telescope and not a visual one. 
but radio observations can help trace the raw material from which stars are made, in particular cold hydrogen gas. Now, it's not easy to spot cold hydrogen gas because, well, it's cold and thus you can't really get good signatures from it when you're trying to observe it. So what COMAP does instead is measures bright radio signals from carbon monoxide gas, which is normally often found alongside hydrogen. And by having radio cameras that are really tuned well to pick up this carbon monoxide, you can actually use it to spot and find then the location of hydrogen, a kind of way of inferring. Now, of course, this is the start of a five-year survey mission. And it, we want to understand just how much of this coal gas is out there, especially in this early period of the university's existence. You can try and map out that number and look at what, how much was present in galaxies in a particular epoch that was being studied, you would be able to see things that would otherwise be too faint or too difficult to see. You definitely something you can't see with visual-based telescopes hard to see gas unless it's coalesced in some form. But radio has a bit more of a chance. Now the way this telescope works is it captures blurry radio images of clusters of galaxies over time and then sharpens those images of individual galaxies. That blurriness at the beginning enables astronomers to try and catch all of the radio light coming in from a large pool of galaxies, even ones that are incredibly faint that haven't really been seen before. And these faint galaxies, you, you just need to get a rough outline of them rather than all of the full detail. This is like, as Cleary puts it, finding the temperature of a large volume of water using a thermometer rather than trying to individually test and measure every individual water molecule. This is an interesting way of sampling large amounts of the sky, but really important for helping understand the composition of galaxies at the earliest periods of the universe's formation what would become uh, pretty much a template for the rest of the galaxy that we, and universe that we see around us today. So by using these types of instruments, looking at the outlines and the compositions of gases, it may not be as visually impressive or stunning to look at, like those pictures from the JWST, but it is incredibly important as a tool to help us understand the structure of the universe around us and look what's sort of otherwise hidden from view. Some interesting research published in the journal, the Astrophysical Journal, about a new telescopic project, the COMAP, which is beginning its five-year survey mission, trying to uncover the gas that makes up galaxies at the beginnings of our universe. Now, it's possible to take visual images of all kinds of things in space. And in fact, you remember a couple of years back where we had some amazing photographs, the first photograph and visual confirmation of the existence of black holes, something that should otherwise be pretty impossible to take a photo of. And yet we had some way of detecting it. Now, two papers published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters and with authors Casey Lamb and Professor Jessica Liu have been investigating a concept that seems pretty science fiction-like and in many ways terrifying, but even harder once you imagine it to actually think about how you would detect it. And this is the idea of a black hole, but not a black hole that's fixed in place or space, one that is in a system which we can find and track and detect through inference. No, this is a black hole that is a wanderer, a black hole that is, well, just wandering around through space. 
these kind of free-floating black holes is well, a concept that is both in many ways terrifying, but also one that's fascinating. And the way in which these researchers have believed they've detected this is, well, through a really special gravitational microlensing technique. Now, we know that when you have a star that collapses in on itself, it can form a black hole. But that normally then stays confined to that home location of that particular star. But it's possible through gravitational destabilization for, well, something to be flung away, cast adrift in the interstellar seas, tossed around by gravitational forces power beyond its power. And this could then collapse in of itself. And you end up with this concept of a free-floating black hole. Now, this is pretty amazing to think about because it's one that's not quite roaming, but one that is, well, moving around. But because it's moving around, it has an impact, gravitationally speaking, on things around it, which means we can detect it. But it's pretty difficult. And that's where looking for distortions in an object's strong gravitational field comes in. This technique called gravitational microlensing means you can basically see changes in another object's gravitational field and thus detect something transiting through or influencing it. In the same way that we use this technique, this dimming technique to find exoplanets, instead of using visible light, but rather gravitational field strength, we can detect when there's a gravitational change. Now, it's not clear just yet if what they've discovered is a free-floating black hole. It could perhaps be a neutron star, another incredibly dense object that is still free-floating and careening around the galaxy. But this, either way, is a pretty amazing discovery because this invisible object, one that can't be seen visually but can be seen through its impact in the gravitational sense, is between 1.6 to 4.5 times the size of the sun. That's pretty big. Now, they're not quite sure of its size because, well, if it's depending on its density, it could be a wide range of sizes. Now, they think it came from something, a dead star, that must have been around two times the mass of our sun, which is sort of the size you need to have in order to collapse into a black hole. Now, it's also possible that that dead star collapsed into a neutron star, have a similar real dense nature, which could cause this gravitational effect. But either way, both of these things would mean it's still a ghost, a stellar remnant, something left behind. It's not visible, but incredibly gravitational dense and free-floating because it's careening around and influencing objects around them. And that's, in fact, how the research is detected. Now, just how many of these weird, careening, free-floating, ghost neutron stars or black holes are in our Milky Way galaxy is hard to know. But understanding just how well stars live and die is essential to understanding, well, not just how stars around us will behave, but also how our galaxy as a whole behaves. And maybe we might see that some of these black holes are part of primordial black holes, which may have been produced, as some cosmologists believe, in large quantities during the Big Bang. Or they may be just the end result of a, a neutron star being flung off through a large stellar collision. Or there are many possible sources. Now, interestingly, as, as this was outlined, this is not the only ones to detect a pretty strange object. Now, researcher 
Kyla Shahu, also published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, of using a telescope, the STS in Baltimore, to detect something pretty similar, calculating the mass slightly differently, around 7.1, and definitely thinks it's a black hole. But using the same data, you're getting still pretty much to the same result. Could be a black hole, could be a neutron star. And they both use this gravitational lensing technique with a wide range of observatories. Now, these often are found in real large surveys of the sky, because where they do microlensing and look for movements and changes in both visual and gravitational fields across a large image field. And this is a great technique, like finding a needle in a haystack, but it can be pretty amazing and yield some pretty good results. Now, Professor Professor Liu has been looking for free-floating black holes since around 2008, and she's trying to get an idea about just how many there may be in a galaxy. And her back-of-the-envelope calculation places it anywhere between 10 million, which is a lot, to 1 billion, which is a lot as well. So when you think about just how big a galaxy is, though, it's not actually that many of the stars as a percentage. Now, star-sized black holes have only been really found in in binary star systems. And so they're relatively easy to then find because you can see them with X-rays, where material from the star falls into the black hole and and you can pick them up that way. But gravitational wave detectors are really sensitive to mergers of two or more black holes. But, you know, that's rare, as rare as a black hole is in the night sky as well. Now, of course, as I mentioned, it's hard to distinguish whether or not this is actually a black hole or a neutron star. But they know that it's definitely from some compact object. And they basically tried to request some more information from other sources. Sources like Hubble. And that Hubble data came in last October and showed that, well, you could see the position of the star as a result of the gravitational field of the lens was still observable 10 years after the, 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 trans, the transition that they detected. And again, they're going to look back at it again with more Hubble micro lens in, 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 again in 2022. Problem is, with all these busy telescopes, even something as old as Hubble is, well, they're workhorses. They're still, you have to book your slot in them. So whilst they think they've found a good candidate for a free-floating black hole or neutron star, it's still moving at perhaps a relatively sedate speed, only less than 30 kilometers per second. Now, this is slow in a cosmological sense, but actually when you think about it as from a large object that's obviously been flung out of a system at some point in order to become free-floating, well, 30 kilometers per second isn't actually that fast at all. It's perhaps a result of the nature of the formation of these free-floating black holes. Maybe they weren't caused by supernova blowing or pushing them away. It's possible instead that they come from a failed supernova. A black black hole is formed as a result of a supernova trying to kick off, but not quite getting enough. And the resulting extra kick pushes that black hole along, not quite in the tremendous speeds you'd see from a regular supernova, but just enough to be careening along, hurtling through the galaxy. And these kind of things we can only find out more about with more data, more time and research. But again, these researchers are trying to find something really, really difficult, a black hole that is moving without any fixed point of reference, careening through space like a ghost. But they exist, and we've found some. As we learn more about them, we'll understand more about these mysterious remnants of a star that didn't quite make it into a supernova, nor quite made it into a stable, safe resting place as a black hole. It's two papers published in Astrophysical Journal Letters. Lead authors Casey 
Lamb, Jessica Liu, along with Kailish Sahu. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Studying super faint objects in our universe, like perhaps untethered black holes and also cosmic gas that form stars. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.